Chapter 26 The sight of dawn breaking over the horizon, slowly dispelling the darkness with tendrils of pink and cream, literally the start of a brand new day. You know how that fills people with joy and hope and a will to go on somehow? Those people are nuts. Our dawn showcased a football field of destruction, charred earth, shattered cacti, a blackened spew of twisted metal and melted wires, plus the mangled wreck of some poor sap who had been created with a weapon in someone else's war. We were all waiting in the living room when the armored Hummer arrived in a cloud of dust. Angel and Gazzy were asleep. Nudge was sitting, unusually quiet, her chin resting in her hands. Iggy and Total were snoring on the other couch. I was purposely not looking at Fang. After making some progress, so to speak, with whatever was happening between us, I felt all my protective shields firmly locked in place again. I couldn't believe how vulnerable I'd allowed myself to be. It had been a mistake. Fang was going to kill me when I told him. Yeah, I was looking forward to that. When the car arrived, I checked it out from behind a curtain. Dr. John and Bates stepped out of it, looking anxiously at the evidence of the fight. I opened the front door of the house. Hi, I said. I'd met him several times, and he seemed okay. I knew he was one of my mom's best friends, and his face showed the worry he was feeling. His face relaxed, and he came over. They got the worst of it, huh? He asked, gesturing to the piles of remains. Always do, I said tiredly. Max! I froze at the new voice. Yes, to make my evening of horror complete, Dr. Bridget Doyer stepped out of the Hummer and hurried over to me with a big smile, her red hair flashing. I allowed myself to be hugged. I'm so, so sorry about your mom, she said sincerely. We'll get her back, I promise. I nodded, then stood there like a dummy as the rest of the flock came to be hugged by Bridget. Watching her hug Fang, seeing his arms go around her, was almost enough to make me hurl. I might need to rethink my protective armor a bit. Let's hurry, said Dr. Abate. We've got a plane waiting. On the way, you can fill me in on what happened, and vice versa. Max, said Nudge, and I instinctively braced. I'd known something was up. Get in the car, sweetie, I said, pretending not to notice anything was wrong. She swallowed. I'm staying. You can't. It's not safe. I'll be safe at the school, and the dorms, she said. She gestured limply to the house, its surrounding wreckage. I can't do this anymore. I want to go to school. I just want to be a kid. At least for a while. I had a million excellent arguments why she was wrong and making the biggest mistake of her life. I opened my mouth to get started, and then it hit me. It would be pointless. Nudge wasn't four or five. She was around eleven and would be as tall as me in another year or so. She really meant she couldn't do this anymore. If she didn't want to be with us, didn't want to fight, she would get hurt. Bad. She might cause one of us to get hurt or killed. I needed my flock to be fierce, bloodthirsty warriors. Nudge's heart just wasn't in it, and I couldn't fix that. Oh god. I swallowed hard, making my chin stiff, my mouth firm. I'm the flock leader because I can do the gnarly jobs. You may not get your wings taken off, I said sternly. 
wonder dawned in her big brown eyes as she realized what I was saying. A huge smile lit her face. She hugged me fiercely, forcing the air from my lungs. You may get your ears pierced, I croaked, trying to breathe. Or your nose. Or actually nothing else. And you may absolutely, positively, may never, ever get your wings removed. Or I swear to God, I will come kick your skinny, fashion-conscious butt into next week. Do you hear me? Yes, Nudge said happily. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you! I love you so much! Ever notice how often people say that right before they say goodbye? Part 2. We all live in a deadly submarine. Chapter 7. The armored car drove about an hour through the desert, ending up at a military airfield. Nothing like passing through heavy, barbed-wire-topped gates to make a girl feel secure. And by secure, I mean super twitchy. At least we could fly out of here if we needed to. I eyed the anti-aircraft guns mounted on turrets and hoped they'd be considered overkill for bird kids. Despite the fact that we were really tired, really hungry, and really upset about my mom, we did manage to fill John and Bridget in on everything that had happened. John showed me the two faxes they'd gotten. Seeing my mom looking straight ahead, fear in her eyes as some goon held a gun on her, made my blood boil. I was going to track down the kidnappers if it meant flying to every single boat in the entire world. We're taking a military jet to San Diego, said John. The FBI is meeting us at the Navy base there. We'll go over all the information we have and see what we can get out of it. I nodded numbly, looking at the soldiers bustling about, each one having somewhere to be. I wonder if Nudge was back at the school yet. I guess she was. The armored car drove right up to a small jet, its stairs already pulled down. Please tell me there's food on board, said Iggy. Yes, said John. A whole lot of it. I was warned about how much you guys ate on the Windy K. His tired smile made me think about our days to living on that boat with Bridget and the other scientist. I glanced over at Bridget as she talked quietly with Fang, and my stomach nodded. He was paying attention to her, but also looking at me pretty often. The whole thing was complicated and messy, and I hated it. But I loved him, and I guess the messiness went along with that. It'll be okay, Max, Angel whispered, patting my hand. I looked at her, wondering if she was talking about my mom or Nudge or Fang. Everything, she said softly. Everything will be okay. I managed a tight smile, and then we were all climbing out of the Hummer and walking across the hot tarmac to the jet. A quick, happy bark made my head snap up. There, at the top of the jet stairs, was Akila. Oh. My. God. Total breathed, stopping dead. He stared up at her as if he was a starving man and she was a Snickers bar. He shook his head. I know it's daylight, because the sun has started to shine again. He inhaled deeply. And the air. The air is suddenly perfumed with- Jet fuel, hot tar, dirty bird kids, and a mute. I said, nudging him forward with my foot. Just get on the plane. Not everything has to be a Broadway show, you know? Toto shot me an aggrieved glance as he trotted up the jet stairs. At the top, he and Akila happily licked each other's faces, their tails wagging. It was, well, actually, I hate to admit it, 
It was kind of sweet, in a slobbery kind of way. We were all waiting for Total and Aquila to move inside when Total stepped back, and when Flourish opened his small black wings, Aquila blinked. And if a mamute can look surprised, she looked it. Regard, my princess, said Total, fluttering his wings. At last I might be worthy of your beauty. He knelt before her and kissed one of her front paws. She licked the top of his head. I glanced around, and everyone was grinning. Oh yeah, love is great. Just great. Chapter 28 The man in crisp white sauce as soon as he came in the door. We were in some building smack dab in the middle of the biggest naval base on the west coast. Frankly, I'd rather be at the San Diego Zoo, but at least this place was air-conditioned. We were in a conference room, ready to meet with some grown-ups, and I was thinking that I had already played in the scenario more times than I could count. Who remembers any of those situations ending well? Go on, raise your hand. No one? Right. However, using insidious and irresistible mind control techniques, such as offering us Mountain Dew and a ton of nachos, the naval bigwigs had managed to corral us in this room for a debriefing. Unfortunately, every time someone said debriefing, the entire flock had one image. Someone's tidy whities disappearing in a flash. We were smothering our giggles, but it was getting harder. Coupled with the whole naval this and naval that, with its undeniable belly button connotations, we were essentially turning into a sugar-jacked, sleep-deprived flock of incoherent, silly, recombinant DNA goofballs. This was not going to end well. This guy had come in, and everyone turned to him, as if now the party could get started. Tucking a sheaf of papers under one arm, he frowned and looked at the woman in the blazer with all the stars on the shoulders. We'd met her. She was Admiral Bellows. I am not making this up. Why are these children here? He asked brusquely. Thank you for joining us, Commander, said Admiral Bellows. She had short, tidy gray hair and seemed extremely no-nonsense. These children are integral to our investigation. For one thing, this child, Max, is Dr. Martinez's daughter. Huh. She'd called me a child, not a mutant freak. And I was a daughter, not just the result of one of Dr. Martinez's eggs being fertilized in a test tube. It felt weirdly... normal. All the more reason this conference is inappropriate for children, the commander said pointedly. We're very sensitive, you know, said Iggy. The admiral shot Iggy a sharp glance, which of course was wasted on him. These children are different, she told the commander. Please come in and share your findings, commander. Time is of the essence. I decided I kind of liked her. The commander paused, as if trying to think of a new way to win the argument, but was distracted when Total put both front paws on the conference table. Excuse me he said, using one paw to brush a nacho crumb from his muzzle. You think you could scrounge up some pico de gallo? Maybe even some guac? And how about a nice cold Evian for my lady friend here? He gestured to where Aquila was sitting with quiet dignity by Dr. Abate. The flock managed to remain straight-faced. It's okay, Commander, I said in the deafening silence. Like the Admiral said, we're different. I shrugged out of my hoodie and extended my wings all thirteen feet of brown glory. They are stunning, I must say. 
even with the slightly still visible boo-boo on one. Everyone in the room except John and Bridget were mesmerized. The commander's mouth actually dropped open a bit, and I ruffled my primary feathers a little. So, how about we just got on with the show, eh? We're talking about my mom here. Between the talking dog and the girl with wings, the commander was pretty much a squashed bug. Wordlessly, he gave a DVD to the Navy guy working the computer, and the lights were dimmed. A PowerPoint presentation began on the white wall opposite the table. The first slide said, The birds are working. Chapter 29 The birds are working. What the heck did that mean? And what did it have to do with my mom? As you know, I've been kidnapped myself, and let me tell you, total bummer doesn't begin to describe it. The thought of my mom going through what I had gone through was making me nuts. The slide was followed by a grainy movie. This was filmed yesterday evening at 1900 hours, at 21 degrees, 30 minutes north, 157 degrees, 40 minutes west, said Commander Chris Pants. That's in the Pacific Ocean, off the coast of Hawaii, the Admiral clarified for us civilians. The movie started off with an aerial view, like from a plane, then followed lower and lower over the water. Lots of fuzzy action tightened up to reveal... Major Birdorama. Hundreds, no, thousands of seabirds. Gulls, albatrosses, cormorants, and a bunch I didn't recognize. They hovered just a few feet above the water, covering it thickly, and they seemed to be feeding or attacking in a frenzy, or I had no idea what. It's like free shrimp day or something, Kezi said, awed. What are they doing? I asked, impatient to get to the part about my mom. We don't know, but wait, said Commander Chris Pants. The camera pulled back to reveal a small fishing boat, maybe a couple hundred yards away from the bird frenzy. We could see the crew, all watching the birds from on deck, gesturing and looking amazed. Some looked scared. I read the name on the side. Nani Moku. All of a sudden, something from beneath the water smashed up through the fishing boat, capsizing it. The boat was literally broken in half. The crew flailed about in the water, trying to cling to debris. What was left of the boat sank within moments. We saw some of the fishermen trying to save their comrades. Saw one guy realize his friend was dead in the water. Was that a whale, Commander? The Admiral asked. Unknown. It could have been a whale or a submarine. We've gone over this footage a hundred times with no success. But now, look at this. The film ended in a greenish, dim, very grainy picture flashed up on screen. I almost yelled. It was my mom. She was looking straight ahead, her brown eyes scared, but defiant. It looked like her arms were tied behind her back. Next to her, someone wearing a ski mask held up a New York's time to show yesterday's date. I'd love to know how they got their hands on that. My stomach tightened. Fang's knee bumped mine under the table the equivalent of a reassuring hug. Normally, that would be all I needed to chill. But right then, it hit me. This was not normally. Nudge was gone. I hadn't realized how much I depended on her sympathy in tough times. The camera focused tightly on Dr. Martinez, as you could see, said Commander Chris Pants. You can hardly make out any background, except... He nodded to the technician, 
and the picture zoomed until it was hardly recognizable. The big white blob in one corner was part of my mom's elbow. The commander moved a red laser pointer over the blurred picture. Except here. To us, this looks like a window frame. He moved over an unrecognizable, lightish thing. Or, more accurately, a porthole. And now look back here. He moved the laser pointer, and I saw Total's head whip back and forth. I made a mental note to never let Gazzy or Iggy get a hold of the laser pointer. Through the thick, wavy porthole glass, there was another jelly-like blob. The commander ran his laser along the slightly darker blob. Please enhance the sharpness by 300%, he told the technician. The next second, the conference room went still and silent. Though still way blurry, we could now make out the darker blobs on the lighter blob through the blobby windows were words. They were words on a piece of wood. Nanimoku. The commander stood up, and the room lights were turned on. We believe this picture was taken on a submarine, he announced. We think the submarine was in the area, and probably capsized that boat, though we're not certain. But that's a piece of the wreckage from that fishing boat, and it's underwater. So they must be holding Dr. Martinez underwater. And since we know that boat was capsized in the Pacific Ocean, off the coast of Hawaii, we believe that Dr. Martinez is somewhere around there. I was ready to leave up and fly to Hawaii. From San Diego, it would take me about six or seven hours, I figured. What does the birds are working mean? The Admiral asked. The commander looked at her. Again, unknown. But there was an audio clip with the bird film. And when we sped up the sound by 500%, that was the phrase we heard. Max, sit down, said John Abe quietly. I looked at him, halfway out of my chair. We have a plan, he went on. We need your help, and that plan does not involve you charging off on your own. I do not charge off, I insisted yet again. Maximum charging off ride, Total muttered under his breath. I gritted my teeth and slowly sat back down. You have one minute to tell me your plan. Make it good. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Maximum Bootleg audiobook podcast thing. I am your Olivet Marky, and uh, the only announcement I have is the reminder that me and my roommates are going to be at the Big Gay Market this weekend. That is the weekend of June 4th in Rogers. If you want to come check us out, come say hi. Maybe buy some cool prints, buttons, earrings, other things from us? Maybe? <laughs> uh, yeah, hope I can see at least some of you there. Alrighty, let's get into the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the podcast Morph Club. So, one of my friends recently got into Animorphs at my beckoning, and I wanted to kind of get a recap of the series again so that I can more accurately torture him with spoilers. So I decided to re-listen to a podcast I found several years ago called Morph Club, which is a podcast where two comic artists kind of reread through Animorphs and kind of reflect back on uh, how they feel differently from when they were kids reading the series at like seven years old versus like, you know, adults with like jobs and stuff. The hosts are very fun. They have a lot of emotions. They're just really geeky about it. It's it's very sweet. 
Uh, the episodes are like an hour, hour and a half long, so they're fairly manageable. Yeah, so if you want to listen to two geeks talk about Animorphs for an hour or so, I would highly recommend Morph Club. And I will leave a link to their show in the show notes. Alright, if you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. And if you want to leave me a rating review, that would also be super cool of you if you want to do that. Alrighty, I think that's all I got to say for this time. So, until next time, fly on. Fly on.